Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. The film The Prestige tells the story of two rival magicians. And it happens in the late 19th century as they try to one-up one another with greater and greater magic tricks, with, with more and more interesting ways to present their tricks. And while there are a lot of things to love about the movie The Prestige, the thing that certainly sticks out to most of us is the incredible performance of David Bowie as Nikolai Tesla. He plays that great inventor, the rival of Thomas Edison, in a way that only David Bowie could. And so in the film, he is presented with what seems to be an impossible problem. It, a creation of some sort of teleporting device in the late 1800s. And when presented with this problem, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to do that, he says that man's reach exceeds his grasp, which when you first hear it, seems just like this very David Bowie ambling around with a Tesla generator behind him. What's going on there? That's a pretty strange thing. But he's actually quoting the poet Robert Browning. Man's reach exceeds his grasp. A puzzling quote, but it's something that the movie is actually built around. Because what the movie is trying to say and what this quote is trying to say is that we often want things that are beyond our understanding. We often want to get things, but we don't know the consequence, the cost of what getting those things is going to be. And this is especially true that we want these things when others have them. In the, in the movie, what was wanted so bad was this trick called the transported man. And the rival magician could not figure out how the character did it. And he wanted it so badly that he went to Tesla to get this machine. He wanted what the other one had, the perfect trick. There is something inside of us that whether we care to admit it or not, deeply wants things that other people have, deeply wants things that are beyond our grasp, that are not our place. Let me give you a few examples, and maybe you'll find yourself in some of these. First children often grasp at being third parents. Think about that, because it's a little bit like a math equation. First children often grasp at the idea of being third parents. And if you don't understand that and don't believe that, that's probably because you're a first child and you don't understand what all of your little brothers and sisters are talking about when they say that. But we grasp at that. We manipulate others to maintain some sort of control, some sort of normalcy in our mind, in our relationships. We, we have this sort of intense and frantic desire to make sure everything stays safe. Everything stays peaceful. Let's make sure it all works out the way it should. Or maybe we escape. 
with, with TV and, and games and substances so that we don't have to deal with real life. We are, we are grasping, we are holding, we are reaching for something that is beyond our reach. Each of these in their own way is a way that we elevate ourselves beyond who we are. If I could just have control, if I could just have security, if I could just be in charge, we want to elevate where we are in life and our place in it. And the problem is, what we all know to be true is that it never works. These things never deliver on what they promise. It just makes our brothers and sisters resent us. It, the more we grasp onto the relationship, the farther it slips out of our hands. We're trying to place ourselves in the center of life's stage. Some of us do this in loud ways. Some of us do this in obvious ways. But others of us do it in more subtle, quieter, easier ways. But all of this, all of these things, all of this impulse to, to grab onto what others have, to take it for ourselves, this desire to put ourselves in the center of the stage, all of these things are us grasping at things we weren't made for. We want to be all powerful, but we're not. God is the only all powerful one. We want to know everything. I sure want to know everything. And I oftentimes assume that I do, but I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. We reach for these things. We assume we know what other people are thinking. We assume we can control a situation. But what we are doing in these moments is playing out this desire that you and I have. This desire to place ourselves in God's seat. We want to be the moral judge of others and take God's place. We want to be the one who is in control of everything and take God's place. Each one of us, quietly or loudly, takes ourselves, and we never would say this out loud, but in our hearts, we quietly think that if I could just control everything, everything would be okay. If I could just be more righteous than that person, everything will be okay. James in his book is addressing this and the way that it plays out in two areas of our lives. He first talks about judging others in our passage, and then he's going to talk about the way that we make plans. So I'd invite you, if you're able to stand as I read God's word to us this morning, I'm going to be reading James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So... 
Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. James begins with a stern warning. Do not speak evil against your brothers. And when James says that we shouldn't speak evil against our brothers, he's talking about slander. He's talking about the ways that we slander other people. And it's so easy for us to point out moral failures in other people. Whenever we see somebody slip up or mess up or fail, it is very quick for us to point it out and go, ha, 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 see, see, look what you look over there. And the idea of speaking evil is something that we can let ourselves off of the hook for. Most of us have never been like Regina George in the movie Mean Girls. We have not papered the school with all of the secrets of everyone around us. And so we go, okay, I've never done that. So I'm pretty good at not slandering. Good idea, Justin. Move on to the other stuff. Not about me. Well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We do speak evil of one another more than we like to admit. For some of us, it takes the, the, the form of, an adult tattling. But in others of us, here's what it can look like. Have you ever jumped to conclusions about what someone else is thinking? And then after jumping to conclusions for what, from, about what somebody else is thinking, acted as if that was the stone cold truth. Perhaps you have been uh, married for a long time. You've probably done this. We think that we know something. And then we act on what we know to be true about somebody else. We as Christians are sometimes the worst at this. If somebody says one thing wrong. If somebody forgets to punctuate their careful theological statement. Aha, see? heretic, liberal, fundy. And we will quickly throw out these labels before asking any questions, before asking what the intent of the statement was. Was there any context to what that person's, well, what, what about, what? no, no, no. We do this, we slander others when we rep repeat stories that we can't verify as true, but we'll run with them because it's a good story and we want to make ourselves look good through what it happens. All of these ways that we assume the worst in others and then act on it is what James is talking about here. That's how we speak evil of others. It's not just telling some salacious rumor, but it's any time that we assume somebody's motives and then tell somebody else. And James is clear that this isn't just a problem for the world at large. This is a problem for the church. He says, brothers, you are doing this to one another. Do you want a surefire way to short circuit community inside the church? You want a surefire way to tear your city group apart? Start doing this. 
start speaking ill of other people in the group because it will absolutely kill it. But James shows us something more significant. What James does is he goes a little bit deeper and he shows us why. He shows us why we do this. It's because we want to be God. We want to set ourselves up. Our pride rises up inside of us and causes us to look around and go, see, that person's a sinner. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not like them. We're more like the Pharisees that Jesus spoke about than we care to admit, where the Pharisees came to the temple and prayed, Lord, thank you that I'm not a sinner like that tax collector, that I'm not, that I'm not a bad person like that poor widow. And we say, yes, those Pharisees are bad. And yet, how many times do we give ourselves excuses for the ways that we sin But when someone else sins, we are quick to point it out. I do this. James's dire warning applies to me. I've been a pastor long enough. I I know what's going on with people. I know which sort of smoke leads to which sort of fire. And when you tell me this, I know what's really going on. But I don't. I don't. But I'm quick to judge. I'm quick to make assumptions. And what James says is when we do this, when we speak evil of a brother or a sister, when we judge them according to what we think to be the truth, we're putting our place, ourselves in the place of God. And James says there's only one lawgiver. Hint, it's not you. There's only one judge. Hint. It's not me. The only judge, the only lawgiver, the only one that has any sort of moral authority over us is God himself. But what do we do? We step into that place. We want to make sure that the truth is heard loud and clear. And so we judge. We usurp what God has given to us. We put ourselves in that place. And it's an ugly, ugly looking thing when we do this, because what do we often do to show ourselves to be worthy to judge? We point at all of the good things that we've done. Ah, yes. I, I signed up to volunteer for kids ministry in a pandemic. Not like all those other sinners, those other sinners who do not volunteer. They should, the church would be a lot better if everybody else was more like me. I signed up for discipleship. I went to men's Bible study on a Thursday night. (laughs) Look at me. I'm doing pretty well. Now I have the right to judge all the rest of you. It's so obvious to others when we are doing this, but we are so self-deceptive because we want to put ourselves in the place of God as the lawgiver. But what we really need, what you and I really need is not the pride that props ourselves up, but humble submission to God. That's the antidote. The antidote to the way that we speak evil, to the way that we slander others, is the way that we can humbly approach God. 
by being humbly submissive. And so then James shifts gears. And it may seem like an abrupt turn to go from how we speak about others to how we talk about the future. But at the core, he's getting at the same idea. The flaws that he says these merchants have is the way that they are presuming to know the future. Ah, yes, well, this year in quarter two, I'm going to make three business trips and and close $100,000 in deals. And then quarter three, I hope to up that number into 125. I'm going to go to this town or that town, and I'm going to make this much money or that much money. On the one hand, is making money bad? No. Is it bad to, to plan out our days, to make wise decisions about when we should go on this business trip or that? That's fine. What is he talking about? He's talking about the pride and arrogance that says, I'm in control of all of this. That I'm the one who is going to make all of this happen. Because we don't have that ability. Church, you're not in control. Church, you can't predict the future. You can't even predict tomorrow because we don't even know how short our lives will be. James says our lives are like a vapor. They're like when you blow out a candle, that puff of smoke that before it even reaches a foot or two above the candle is gone. That's what your life is like. Maybe let me illustrate it this way. All of us have eight great-grandparents. Two on your mother's side, two on your father's side. Two sets on your mother's side, two sets on your father's side. Eight. I, I, want, a, I want somebody, I want any of you who can name more than three of your great-grandparents first names to raise your hand. These are people that were alive probably in the 80s for most of us that are of the generation that many of us are. And yet, how many of us can name first names more than one or two of our great-grandparents? I racked my brain and I could get to like two and a half. These people were alive 30 years ago for most of us. And, and we're related to them. Their blood is coursing through our veins and we can't remember their names. Your life goes faster than you think and yet we spend it busily trying to move on to the next thing. Think about it. When you're a kid, what do you want? You want to be a teenager because of all the freedom that comes with that. No, I'm going to get to stay up later. And I'm going to get to, and then when you're a teenager, what is it? I can't wait till I graduate. Then I'll get to like strike out on my own and be my own person. And that's when it's going to be great. And then you get your first job and, and you go, okay, things are going better, but I can't wait till I get my next job where I make decent money. And then you get that job. And then what is it? Well, you know, now I've got these kids to take care of, or now my parents' health is falling apart and I've got to deal with that. Now, my, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, man, I can't wait till retirement. That's when it's going to get real good. And then you get to retirement and you get bored and you go, wait a minute, where did it all go? We're in such a hurry to move through our lives, such a hurry to control everything we can. And yet what happens? We make our confession of our faith together. We say that Jesus is the center of our lives. And then when you walk out of here, if you were to pull up your Google calendar, 
he disappears. It doesn't come into play in the way that you do business. It doesn't come into play in your place of work. What God is saying here through this text, what James is telling us is what we ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. This is not him asking us to have a mantra, right? In Middle Eastern culture, after everything you say, after every plan you make, you say, inshallah, if God wills it. And it just becomes a mantra. Anytime you say, oh, I'm gonna go to the supermarket later, if God wills it. That's not what he's asking for. He's not saying we need to have this mantra where just, oh, we just tack this on to all of our sentences that are in the future tense. No, what he's saying is we need to bring the gospel to bear on every single part of our lives. We need to have submissive humility because our pride is the culprit here as well. I'm gonna control my life. I'm gonna take care of my destiny. I know how much money I make. I know how to do all of these things. I'm the one who's in charge. But you're not. Church, you're not. Your life is a vapor. It is here and then it is gone. What we all need is to see Jesus in every plan that we make. We need to see Jesus in every step we take. And yes, even every smile you fake and every claim you stake. We need to actively see what God is doing. We need to actively submit everything that we're doing humbly to the one who is not a vapor. Because that's what James is calling us to recognize through both the way that we talk about others and through the way that we make our plans. In both of these things, he's calling us to recognize who God is. He is the only eternal one. He is not a vapor. He is the one giver of the law. He is the one judge of the law. He is the only all-powerful, all-knowing one. But here's where the story gets good, church. The one all-powerful one, the one all-knowing one, didn't grasp at it. We are quick to grasp at all powerfulness. We are quick to grasp at all knowing. Jesus was quick to let it go because he humbled himself to be born as a man. This is what Philippians tells us. Philippians 2 tells us. He humbled himself to be born of a man. He left heaven behind and then his humiliation went further. He, the creator of all things, the Lord and giver of life was subjected to death, even death on a cross. So church, we don't have to grasp on to our moral certainty or our prideful plans. We don't have to hold our control and security with a tight, white-knuckled grip. We can live a new sort of life, a life that's, that's not marked by this pride that is so common to us as humans that we just assume it, that we barely notice it. No, we get to live a new life a sub of submissive humility to our good Savior, the one who didn't grasp but who instead let go. Now, 
if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it could easily sound like I'm just giving you a list of moral do's and don'ts. Be more humble. Don't say mean things. Don't judge others. Be cool. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and not paying attention very well, you could also hear that. I hope you don't, but possibilities out there. No, rather, something deeper and more beautiful is going on. Something deeper and more beautiful is what I'm asking you to see and hear. God is inviting us into a world where we are not the center. God is calling us to a world that doesn't revolve around us, where we don't have to force control, where we don't have to stand as judges over others. Instead, we're able to follow after someone who has given up more than we will ever have to freely give us more than we could possibly imagine. We join him in his story that he has already written. It's an invitation to a new way to see ourselves, a new way to see the world around us, a way that doesn't have us grasping at what others have, doesn't have us chasing the tricks and things that other people already have. Rather, we are following a good savior who has already given us more than we need in him. We are following a good Savior who not only changes our heart, but he changes our lives in real and tangible ways. Because as we follow him in humility, it doesn't just mean that we know more things. It doesn't just improve our Bible EQ or learning what the Bible says. Rather, something deeper and more beautiful happens. As we follow him in humble submissiveness, the resurrection life that he started on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago is born in us. We get to live this new resurrection life where we don't just know the right things, but our hearts are changed to do the right things. Where we follow him and not out of moral obligation, but rather as an act of, of submission, of wanting to be like our Father, we get to live the resurrection out daily in our lives. And so that hope and peace and kindness rises up in our hearts. It changes our minds and our souls. And then it flows out in the way that we speak of others. Because all of a sudden, I don't have to speak evil of others because there's no good in that. I can speak good of them. Even if it's to my disadvantage, I can praise my coworker to the boss because I don't have to grasp on. This is not a zero-sum game. I can be kind and it doesn't harm me because I already have all that I need in Jesus and his resurrection. I can make plans, but plans that know that this life is short and maybe they'll come to pass and maybe they're not. I can make plans that aren't for my glory and my riches, but rather a plan for this short life that echoes into eternity by lifting up his name. Let's pray.